Baseball's hot stove heats up at the winter meetings. It's a long off season, and we're just getting started now. We're starting to explore some things. And the crime dog is headed to Cooperstown. Welcome to the Braves Report, the new podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that takes you inside the clubhouse and gives you the stories behind the score. We don't have any scores right now, but the baseball winter meetings are here, which means we've got baseball news. I'm Jay Black with our AJC Braves beat reporter, Justin Toscano, who is coming to us from his native San Diego side of this year's baseball winter meetings where we've already had some action. Yeah, um, usually when I come home back to San Diego, I'm talking to my mom about the season, you know, what happened. She's catching up on my life. Today, I feel like I've just talked about Jacob deGrom, the luxury tax, uh, and other things. So this is a little bit of a different swing, and baseball fans were groaning for a while about the slow offseason. Now it's really picking up a little bit. We'll see if some of these dominoes fall, especially for the Braves here this week. All right, we will dig into that Hall of Fame decision of why Fred McGriff is headed to Cooperstown. Then, what will the Braves do with their roster this week in California? What are the Braves' priorities? What's up with Dansby Swanson? Will they land a big-name pitcher for the rotation? And are the Braves serious about beefing up that payroll? Plus, your questions in the Ask Justin segment. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. All right, first time in three years we've had the uh, the baseball winter meetings. And, Justin, you've been to a few of these. I've been there, too. What's it like there, and why is this where kind of the, the off-season news gets made? Yeah, I think baseball really takes center stage for a few days at the winter meetings when everybody's in the same room, under the same roof. It's kind of peculiar to me sometimes because these general managers and agents have phones. Players have phones. We all have <laughs> yes. phones. Everybody communicates – via text, via Zoom, FaceTime, you know, over the phone, whatever it may be. But I think there's just something to be said for being under the same roof and being kind of in a league-sanctioned event that gets things going for some reason. Like, you've seen them throughout the years and the ones you were at. It just seems like it kind of conjures up a little more activity. And I think that's got to be just because it's, like a, like I said, a league-set-up thing and everybody's under the same roof, and everybody wants dominoes to fall, and kind of everybody's looking to fill needs and their their priorities, and everybody just kind of convenes here. So sometimes not a lot happens, but the last one in 2019, we saw Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, Steven Strasburg, all signed uh, in the same winter meeting. So hopefully for baseball fans' sake, this one is quite similar. It's like a baseball convention. For those of you that have been to conventions, you know, you, you can get a lot of business done, you know, at the convention. And, and a lot of business gets done here. Um, I went when, well, it was the polar opposite of San Diego. Uh, for some reason, they had the baseball winter meetings one here in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is Wolf. not um, California. Yeah, that's that's a little different. Um, but the little skywalk things between the buildings had to have been cool. And uh, it it is... You Like you said, it's a convention. So for anybody who hasn't been to one of these, um, maybe some of our listeners have because there is a job fair. So that's theoretically open to everybody. Um, you walk in and it's like at a hotel, usually with the GM meetings and the winter meetings. 
you get your credential. There's like a huge ballroom where the media workroom usually is. You kind of stake out the lobby for people you need to talk to, like agents, executives, things like that. It's a it's a weird setup, if only because it's so much different than anything else we do throughout the year. But it's a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, the baseball world gets really put on a center stage for a few days. Things get done. Things get talked about. It's fun to catch up with people. Um, and it's fun to learn more about the team you're covering. And uh, it's a look to spring training when we will not have it for a couple more months. All right, so we're going to put baseball uh, winter meetings hot stove uh, talk on pause for just a minute because the big news of this day is Fred McGriff's going to the Hall of Fame. I've been totally blessed all the, all over the years. Uh, this is just icing on the cake, and for it to be unanimous, it's a beautiful thing. That was a crime dog on MLB Network where the announcement was made. And I know there's just there's been uh, you know a lot of dispute over the years on on Fred McGriff's Hall of Fame credentials, but. One thing that is not in dispute is he has a first ballot nickname. Oh yeah. That's that's as good as it gets, the crime dog when you I mean, we don't people don't really have nicknames nowadays in sports. No. Like like some people do, but it's not they're not to the level of the crime dog, that's for sure. Now earlier I talked to legendary AJC sports columnist Mark Bradley, who covered both McGriff and Dale Murphy, who was also on this ballot but did not get in. And, and, Mark, you had a vote when, when McGriff was on the ballot for the Riders, and you did not vote for him. Are you okay with his election this time? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't get upset uh, over the Hall of Fame if a guy, if a guy gets in, right? Uh, if, if, if I didn't vote for him and he gets in, you know, well, that's fine. Enough people did, and obviously they're, they have a right to their opinion, too. I think McGriff is is one of those guys that just he was really close in a lot of people's minds, but when you look back on on the years that he was on the ballot, he never got more than thirty nine point eight percent of the vote, and that's over a ten year period. And that's in that you got to get seventy five percent to get in, and that that's that's not even close. Uh, I, I think that a lot of people now, too, and, and I know I do it, what makes war such a convenient and useful uh, statistic for the for Hall of Fame voters is that it, it kind of gives you a measure of value. And if if somebody has a career war of, of 70 or 80 and he's an everyday player, that's, that's a Hall of Famer, or very close. But McGriff's career war was, was I believe, 52-something. That's good, but it's not like that's not one that jumps out at you if you're a Hall of Fame voter. That's one that you kind of look at and you say, "Hmm, that kind of is below the line." Uh, his was fifty-two point six. Let me give you a name of. Let me give you another name that you probably won't even. You're a young man, so you might not recognize this. Veda Pinson. Veda Pinson was the other good outfielder on the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, back in the early, back in the 1960s, when Frank Robinson was was the big name there, Beta Pinson had a career WAR of 54.2, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. No. Uh, and and Fred McGriff is, and now, and and that's you know that's fine. But but what I'm saying is that that you know Andrew Jones is is probably going to get in the Hall of Fame. His career WAR was 62.7. So that that's like ten up from McGriff. That that's, I think that with McGriff it was like, you know, here's a guy who was who finished in the top 
10 of MVP, top 10, top 20 of MVP voting, voting a lot, but he was never an MVP. Um, he, he was a very good player on some very good teams. So I, I, I think McGriff was just, to use a cliche, I think he's one that would fall into, under the heading of in the hall of very good, which means not in Cooperstown. But this is, this is the first year, I believe, of the Contemporary Players Committee, which basically seems to me to have been created as, as a way for another group of eyes to, to look at the people that the writers didn't put in. And in that regard, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen here because you, you, had, you had some pretty big names on this, uh, on this first ballot. I mean, you obviously had Dale Murphy, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Rafael Palmiero and and Kurt Schilling and uh, those are those are some of those are guys I voted for every year they were on the ballot, but none of those got in. Uh, McGriff got uh, McGriff got 16 votes. He was a unanimous selection, but Murphy got six votes, which is not necessarily a great sign for him going forward on this. Although you know, uh, but. The fact that uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens received fewer than four votes, that kind of tells you what, what this electoral body thinks of the, uh, of the steroids era, and that's, uh, that's going to be a big thing. Uh, you know, those are the, the biggest names are going to be the guys who didn't get in uh, because, because people wouldn't vote for them because of the, the PED uh, stigma. Fred McGriff had no PED stigma, certainly didn't help uh, his numbers comparison, and the strike in 94 and 95 kept him below 500 homers. If the strike doesn't happen, and he was on an MVP-type tear in 1994, let's say he wins the MVP in 94, sales past 500 homers, does that change the equation? Yeah, probably, but not... I don't know. It's it's one of those things that I think 500 homers... It, it doesn't quite mean as much as it used to, I think, um, that people are, are, are using. You have to be a baseball writer to vote for the, the Hall of Fame. And baseball writers tend to look at numbers very hard. And they tend to look at, uh, and, and the younger the baseball writer's body gets, I think the more they're going to look at things beyond, uh, like the big round numbers and the, and the triple crown numbers. Certainly they are with Andrew Jones. Uh, and, and, you know, you think, yeah, I mean, he was, he was a very good player, McGriff, very good player, very consistent player, never hit 40 home runs in a year, though. He drove in 100 runs, but, you know, he, he never had the, the, you know, the one magic season that that moment he was the best player in baseball. Um, I, I, I think that uh, McGriff would have been one of the 10 best players in baseball several times in his career. But again, I, I, you go back to that number. His highest vote from the BBWAA, of which I'm a member, uh, was 39.8. And that, given that he just got the unanimous support of this group, you know, I, I guess there's a little bit of a disconnect there. But I also think that the committee was probably going to put somebody in this year because it, it, it would look kind of funny if they didn't. Uh, and, but, they put uh, the guy on TV to make the announcement. It would have been weird if he said, no, nah, I got nothing. We're good. Back to you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would have been funny. Uh, yeah, I watched that too. And I thought, well, you know, it, 
I'm pretty sure somebody's going to get in. And, and you know, I had no idea who, who, you know, I thought, you know, maybe four of these people would get in. You know, Don Mattingly, you can make a case yep. for him. Murph, Murphy obviously was a two-time MVP. But, you know, it, again, you look at Murphy's Murphy's ward numbers. He's he's in the 40s. So I, I think he's, he's going to have a hard time even with this committee uh, which I think is going to meet on like an every other year basis. But again, if if Murphy had gotten in, or had McGriff had gotten in, I, w- I would have said congratulations. And you know, I know them both. I covered both of them, and obviously they were they were really good players and and uh, really good guys. But now, if you're asking me, did either one of them have the career that Barry Bonds did? The answer is no. But you know, then again, the the, the Bonds thing is, is so much different. You know, it, it, it's like you're looking at you're, you're looking like a whole different set of criteria for uh, Bonds and Clemens and Palmero and and guys like that. From 1988 through 1994, uh, Fred McGriff had more home runs than Barry Bonds, and then Barry Bonds turned into a different person. Yeah, well, he kind of kind of did, uh, but yeah, but, but Bonds was an MVP uh, over yes. over that time too. Were you there in '93 when the press box got far? I was not. That was not. That was not my night to write, and uh, <laughs> I was watching it on TV, and it was like, oh my lord, that's. Uh, I, I was there the day, the day that they traded for him on the Sunday that they traded for him, and a highly placed Brave employee uh, who shall not be named, but you could probably guess, uh, uh, <laughs> said, "What time's your deadline tonight?" And I said, "This first, the only time that this person ever asked me that," and I said. I don't know. I got a little time. He said, "You might want to hang loose for a while," and we ended up coming back to the ballpark that night to be there when they announced that they had gotten Fred McGriff. Yeah, for, for our younger uh, demographic uh, who does not know the story, in 1993, the Braves are trying to catch the Giants, make the trade at the deadline for Fred McGriff, and his first day on the job, the press box at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium catches fire before the game. They play the game, and Fred McGriff hits a home run in his Braves debut. Yeah, Fred McGriff hit the home run, and I, then the next night, I was there the next night, we couldn't work out of the press box. We were out in center field somewhere in the Braves' offices. It was weird because we were like, you know, having to sit in somebody's cubicle. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I remember I was I was talking to Glenn Sheely, uh, and uh, when McGriff came up and he hit a home run, and then, uh, you know, he comes up again, and we're standing there talking, and then he hits another home run. And I said, this guy must be pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, everything he hit was hard. It was, I mean, he was, he was a really, uh, he, was a, he was a great hitter to watch because he had that, that, uh, that kind of looping swing. And, uh, and uh, there's a, a writer I know who said left-handed swings are always more aesthetically pleasing than right-handed swings for some reason. And... And McGriff just—I mean, you know—he when he, when he when he hit a ball, it stayed hit, as they say. I know many uh, eight to twelve-year-olds uh, during the early '90s who uh, definitely practiced uh, that one-handed follow-through and that windmill yeah. finish uh, to emulate yeah. Fred McGriff. It was a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, and I, I thought you were going to tell me about the Fred McGriff. Uh, famous ad for defensive baseball. We, or, we cannot go uh, without a Tom Amansky <laughs> mention uh, talking about a Fred McGriff segment. Yeah, yeah, Tom Amansky. Yeah, that was, that's one of the the, the high-level uh, advertising campaigns of all time. Has but, to be one of the most effective endorsements, even though it was kind of done on a shoestring budget, but they wore yeah. that thing out on ESPN. And 
Fred McGriff is equally known for that as he is his baseball career. I know. I know. I can remember. I can still see him pointing at the screen. Just ask Atlanta Braves superstar Fred McGriff. This is the instructional video that gets results. I, you know, I, I think it's great that he got in. And, and I mean, I uh, I didn't not vote for him because I didn't think he was a good player. I, I just I didn't vote for him because I thought that he wasn't quite a Hall of Famer. And I mean, obviously, this is a pretty star-studded committee they've got. Uh, I mean, if, if they elect him unanimously, then, then I say, hooray for Fred McGriff. All right, that's where we'll pause it. Uh, thank you there, Mark, and uh, we'll, we'll bring you back in here as we uh, dig into the winter meetings as well, and we'll discuss uh, what's on deck for the Braves and Dansby Swanson, plus what's on their agenda coming up in San Diego. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. What's so great about being a Kroger Boost member? Free delivery on the Kroger products you love and more rewards too, like double fuel points on everything you buy. Experience a new level of membership starting as low as $59 a year with Boost by Kroger Plus. Learn more at Kroger.com today. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Now, obviously, this is a big week for Braves fans and baseball news. We don't want you to miss out on any of our coverage, and we've got it any way you want to get it. We've got all of Justin's stories on AJC.com and the e-paper, the Braves Report newsletter, and our new Bradley's Buzz newsletter for all the insights on the moves and other Atlanta sports discussions from Mark Bradley. And the only way you can get everything we've got to offer is to join our community and subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So we've got a special deal running right now. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, and we'll give you six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents total. So basically from now until Memorial Day, you can get all the news you can handle for just a buck. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to take advantage of this deal. And um, Justin, you can buy this for your girlfriend for the holidays. Yeah, I mean, the, the subscription, I mean, that you're assuming she doesn't already subscribe. She subscribes. But I think I'm going to gift wrap. <laughs> I'm going to gift wrap a bunch of these to everybody on my floor at my apartment complex and leave them under the floor mats. And I bet, you know. They won't know who it came from. It'll be a secret Santa, but it'll be the best gift they've ever received. All right, not a whole lot of news um, on the Braves front for for day one of the winter meetings, except uh, kind of the Sean Murphy bubble that's popped up, the catcher with the A's. And that one seemed kind of odd because the Braves have a few catchers. Yeah. Now, the Braves, Alex Anthopoulos, I should say, is notorious for zigging when everybody else zags. Um, and that's why it's so fun to cover his team. But... This one didn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, I, I guess it did from the point of if you believe that's going to improve the club, which it very well could. But the Braves received great production from their catchers last year. They've got two of them. And oh, by the way, one of them is still young and has years of control left. Um, so it didn't really make a ton of sense because they've got three catchers. They really seem to value the catching depth they have. Um, and now... It's fair to mention that throughout the offseason, there's often a lot of posturing by agents, executives, things like that, because everybody's got an agenda. But I do think the Braves actually do value that catching depth, like based on what I've heard, what I've read between the lines, um, and what's been said publicly. And so I just think that it was a little strange, and that 
turned out to be erroneous. Um, and Alex Anthopoulos said as much that he just kind of wanted to shut that down because he doesn't anticipate a trade. Uh, the news is that the Braves plan to go into spring training with Travis Darno, William Contreras, and Manny Pena. Uh, and they, the reason being is they signed Pena for a reason. No, they did not see Contreras breaking out like he did. But with the DH um, and Travis Darno, you know, isn't going to catch 150, even 145 games a year. You need multiple guys. And it's easy enough to put Contreras in the DH spot, have Manny Pena catch. There's versatility there. One thing when you look at this situation that you have to remember about the Braves is that in 2021, I could probably tell you that John McNichols or something was a catcher for the Braves. And you might believe me because they went through so many catchers. They don't want to live through that again. That was not fun uh, as a general manager for Alex Anthopoulos. He remembers that very well. And that's why I just can't see them. Like if the Phillies, this would never happen. But if the Phillies came up to them and said, you know, we'll give you JT Real Muto. He doesn't want to play here. Things are bad here. Whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, they're going to explore it. But aside from that, I just think they really like their three catchers and the depth and versatility and optionality that that really provides them uh, and how they can handle things. So, no, they will not be landing Sean Murphy as of now. All right, let's look at the Braves' real shopping list uh, for the winter meetings. And you talked to Alex Anthopoulos last month and again on Sunday, and, and he admits he, you know, he feels the pressure to keep this streak and this thing intact. Yeah, it's worry because, you know, the people are counting on you, right? You know, that, you know the worry for me is I always say, like, keep the machine going. The machine is like, I look out, I see the battery, and I see crowds, and I see 3.1 million fans, and it's like, turn off the faucet if the team isn't winning, right? So... I know, like, the business side, I said this, our business side it does an incredible job. And if we don't carry our side, they can't do anything about it. They can only do so much. I read a Twitter comment the other day, and don't ask me why, but I ended up down that rabbit hole. And, and a couple of people were saying that the brave silence is deafening this offseason. Is it? I don't – I mean, I don't think so. I think they just work in silence. You're not going to hear – they're not going to leak anything. Um, you've got to really find something out <laughs> to get information because they're not going to leak anything. I don't think it is. Now, with their top priority, Dansby Swanson, well, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, and Xander Bogarts also haven't signed. Aaron Judge hasn't signed. Until Friday, Jacob deGrom hadn't signed. Justin Verlander and Carlos Rodon, as we do this, have not signed. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think, the look, the Braves very obviously have many positions occupied. And that's no secret. That just means that you're not going to be able to address everything in a big way. But they're about as good as anybody at improving at the margins. Um, and I think they don't necessarily strive to win the winter, uh, as you could say. But they, they're really good at improving around the margins. And I think they've searched for that. Like, we'll get into their interest on Jacob deGrom, I'm sure. Um but Alex Anthopoulos has said like they've explored bullpen help, upgrading offensively even, um, and we can talk about the ways in which they could probably do so, but even starting pitching. And he said they've looked more toward the free agent market than via trade for starting pitching, but they're really looking at every area, and I think they there's a chance they could make an impact signing, but... You know, like, don't be disappointed if they just work around the margins because they've already got a really good roster. Um, so, I mean, I just think 
there's definitely times that things pick up and when teams are more or players are more willing to sign teams are more willing to trade their players to discuss things whatever it might be when agents are more willing to move there are times when that picks up but the Braves' silence this offseason shouldn't be you know taken too meaningful Braves fans really got their antennas up when uh, the CEO of Liberty Media said that the team will have a top five payroll in a few years. Will we see any of that play out this week? Maybe. And here's the important thing. Now I use fan graphs for this sort of thing. Roster resource is usually really good. And they've got the Braves luxury tax number at about $5 million under the first luxury tax threshold amount of $233 million. So what that tells you is if the Braves want to do anything significant this offseason and they don't cut payroll otherwise, they're going to have to break into the luxury tax. And now I've heard that they don't have any restrictions to that. Um, They've talked about how they would do it for the right player and the right deal. Now the obvious question is, what is the right player? What is the right deal? Um, You know, if they traded Manny Pena, that's money off the books. If they traded Eddie Rosario, if they found a way to unload Marcelo Zuna or even released him in eighth contract that's money off the books but if they don't do any of that they're going to break through the luxury tax threshold and the tax 20 percent on the overages the first time isn't a ton but the Braves are really more worried not worried but they look more at the cash payroll um, because that's what they're actually going to be paying this season um, and so that is actually structured to look pretty good. It's about almost $200 million. These are conversations, and this is a topic we would not be having about the Braves if we did this podcast five years ago. Um, and you could see the, you know, you're going to see payroll rise again this year. It's just a matter of by how much. Um, and Terry McGurk told me on the record before that his goal is to be a top five payroll. He didn't specify when, and Greg Maffey from Liberty Media you know, said the same, echoed the same sentiments recently. You're going to see payroll rise again. It's just going to be by a matter of how much. And I I believe that because they're looking to improve. And really, if they don't get money off the books else, how payroll is just going to be going up even more. It already has uh, guys' arbitration, like Max Fried's going to make more, AJ Minter, those guys. And they're going to be paying guys more. And so, I mean, I think... It will go up. I don't know if they'll be top five, but I expect it to go up. All right. That brings us to the Dansby situation. You get to the offseason and um, in free agency, you know, we have a hole right right now. So, um, you know, we're going to have to make decisions one way or the other. So, um, but obviously my, my thoughts about him and everything else, I've made that very clear during the year. Tremendous. And congratulations, obviously, I told him as well on, on the gold glove. Well, well deserved. Um, the work he put in from the time I got here to now, you know, he's arguably the best defensive shortstop in, in the game. That's all Alex would say at the GM meetings last month. What's he saying about the situation there in California? Yeah. So the latest is that Alex Anthopoulos recently, you know, he said he recently spoke to Dansby Swanson. That's curious because Anthopoulos has a policy, or not even a policy, but just in practice. He, he doesn't initiate calls with free agents when they're free agents. Um, you can read maybe between the lines on why this one was different. He will do it. You know, he said it's a two-way street, so if somebody wants to talk, he'll have a conversation. So you can kind of maybe read between the lines there. But it really seems to be, 
you know, a holding pattern. Uh, during the year, the sides, as we've talked about on this podcast, discussed a contract extension. They were pretty far apart in money. I mean, maybe not super far. It depends on what you consider by far. I thought there was room to get to even ground there if both wanted to compromise a little bit. But they didn't match up on money then, I should say, to be more accurate. And, or it didn't seem. And it doesn't seem like there's been you know, or at least the last time I checked, had been a ton of progress. And it just really seems like it's going to be about price. Now, that seems kind of cliche and obvious. But what I mean is this. The Braves don't really get emotional when they do deals. They stick to their guns. They know how much they value Dansby Swanson at. They know how much they would be comfortable paying for him um, and how it works with their 2023 payroll and their 2023 team and beyond what they're doing now versus five years from now and so that's gonna be if you're Dansby you know and you want the most money like I don't think that's gonna be with the Braves like it just doesn't seem like that I mean once Trey Turner there are a lot of teams who need shortstops Uh, it's a premium position and he's a great player and he's put himself in position to earn you know the most he can but right now, there's not much to add. His wedding soon. Maybe he doesn't sign until after that. Maybe he does. Maybe all the dominoes in the shortstop market in terms of the big four shortstops fall this week in San Diego. Who knows? But the Braves have internal options. They obviously have backup plans, you can assume. But it's really, really 50-50. Uh, I know a lot of people thought Freddie Freeman would come back, and that didn't turn out as such, so now people are a little more cautious. But the Braves are pretty staunch and kind of sticking to what they believe somebody is worth and what they're comfortable doing and they, they don't really leave that comfort zone and they don't burn themselves with bad deals i did ask uh, mark bradley especially after what happened with freddie last year is it a bad sign for brace fans who want swanson back that it's december now and he still hasn't signed i don't think so um i i think that i, I don't think it's any worse sign than than him becoming a free agent. I, I, you know, there's a possibility he's going to be somewhere else next year. I, when you, as we know very well from the Freddie Freeman experience, that's when you become a free agent, there's a chance you're going to leave. Uh, and there's a chance that Swanson's going to leave. Um, but I also think that uh, because there are the other three shortstops uh, involved, Bogarts and uh, Trey Turner and uh, Correa, it's like which one of the shortstops is going to go first, and you know if if it's say Correa he goes first or you know how much does he get, and then if if he gets that much, how much do you think Swanson's worth or Bogarts is worth, and and that that's going to be interesting to see because I I, I think that teams needing shortstops are probably going to be looking at at all of these guys and thinking you know. Do we want to go highest and 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 take the guy we think is the best of the four, or would we be happy to get the the third best guy of the four? This is kind of this is different in from from the Freeman situation in the regard that you know Freeman was was clearly the the number one big hitter of last season who was available. Uh, Swanson is one of four pretty good short, really good shortstops uh, that are available this time. If it's not Dansby, is it a big name, small name, or Grissom? If it's not Dansby, I think they lean toward Grissom. 
and that's if they can do something, if they think they can do something in the outfield. And the reason I say that is if they think they want to dedicate more resources there, eventually you're going to have to break in some young players. That's just the way payroll works. Like nobody can afford everybody. If shortstop is their main priority, then I think it's somebody else, whether it's like Willie Adamas from the Brewers who reportedly, you know, isn't going to be on the trade block or, you know, maybe one of Cleveland's shortstops. But that's a tough position because teams really don't give up their good, young, controllable shortstops. Um, yes. So it could be somebody. I mean, you and you can make the argument, if you were going to go out and sign Jose Iglesias, why not just have Von Grissom play? And and not, that's nothing against Jose Iglesias. He had a great year, but he's probably in the conversation and an option amongst fans just because of that great 2022. Now, here's something interesting, Jay. So... Scott Boris always does his little dance at the GM meetings, at the winter meetings. Uh, you've probably seen it. It's it's great fodder. It's great audio, great puns. I was there, you know, in Vegas, and I asked him uh, because he happens to represent Carlos Correa and Xander Bogarts. And I asked him if he could see the Braves signing one of those guys. He said that with any team, you can kind of see you know or you can ask well do they prefer one or the other and he goes teams have their own models teams you know do this who would they prefer he said that in terms of the shortstops this winter it seems that the braves have a pecking order my guess to that and this is just conjecture based on how i read it my guess is that they would not be in on one of those bigger guys who are gonna maybe command you know four or five years um six years at a at a higher AAV than Swanson and I don't know that for a fact they certainly could sign one of them but I don't know if I see them doing that especially because they've got a young player in Grissom who if Ron Washington the infield guru believes he can be a defensive shortstop long term in the majors that's a pretty good vote of confidence if he thinks he can eventually get there and then why would you – I think about it like this too. What One side of the coin says you extend all these guys to team-friendly, seemingly team-friendly deals. You lock up your young talent, and that gives you the opportunity to do a big deal that you might not have done otherwise. The other side of the coin, and sometimes where I lean, is if you've got all that flexibility, why would you give some of that up with a big deal for a shortstop when you, you, know, you just never know, and eventually you're going to have to break in some young guys to keep – you know, the payroll afloat to be sustainable. I could see the Braves, you know, you just never know with Alex. Maybe he wants to go after one of those big guys. But if that were the case, why not just pay Dansby Swanson 20, 30 million more or whatever he might want, whatever the situation might be? Because it really seems like Xander Bogarts and the others are going to command a lot more. And Xander Bogarts is probably going to make more than Swanson. Um, and then Correa and Turner are going to make more than Bogarts, you would think. So I could really see them in a way that I couldn't two months ago. I can see them going to Grissom in that situation, Grissom and Arcia, or trading for somebody. Like, I really could. It just doesn't – there are costs to these things. Like, if Dansby wants to stay in a winning situation, you know, in Atlanta, he might have to take less money. Like somebody else might offer him. Maybe the Cubs offer him more. Maybe the Cardinals offer him more. Are they in better winning situations? That's for him to decide if he cares about that because he's certainly earned the right to make as much as he's wanted to. 
as he wants to. I should say he's a terrific player, a terrific leader, and like that shouldn't be understated. The Braves know what that means to their clubhouse. He's the unquestioned, unofficial captain of the clubhouse, and that's worth something. But as this goes on, I just can't really see the Braves signing one of those big fish you know, in the shortstop market just because I don't think it would make sense. It would kind of break trend of what they've done and how they've built this team. That doesn't mean it won't be done, but there's just less, less flexibility to be had when you're signing a guy for $220 million or whatever over five years or six or seven versus when, you know, you're doing a two-year deal at a high AAV. Now, there are different ways to make it happen. Maybe they go seven years on somebody. Who knows? Like, maybe they do the Matt Olson and go eight because they like Carlos Correa or Xander Bogart so much. Bogarts is older that, you know, wouldn't make sense. But maybe they like Correa so much or something like that. Or maybe they love Turner so much. I think it's likelier that they would go with an internal option or a trade for, you know, a good young shortstop who might not be a star yet. All right, now to the rotation. How close were the Braves to getting to Grom? Yeah, it seems like there was genuine interest from both sides. Um, Buster only from ESPN first reported it, and I independently confirmed that um, – they did, you know, they did look into it. Now, to what degree they did, that's kind of unknown. To me, when I looked at the deal initially, uh, that Degrom reportedly got five years, one hundred eighty-five million. That to me, I immediately thought, there's no way the Braves would want to go five years on a guy like that. Um, five years. There's a reason the Mets were content to just let the Rangers have him at that point, and yeah. that's nothing against the Rangers because I want to make it very clear that we should say that it's noble to spend you should try to win but this is a guy with a recent injury history um he's 34 years old going to be 35 next june that's a lot of years but it seemed like there was genuine interest on both sides and the braves certainly explored it anything you're hearing about it, uh, the braves kicking the tires on any of the other big name free agents or are they gonna roll with ian anderson and mike soroka getting a shot yeah well alex anthopoulos has made it sound like they've kicked the tires on adding another starter and he said they've looked more so in free agency than via trade. And you know who the free agent starting pitchers are. And you know which of those free agent starting pitchers would be better than Mike Soroka and Ian Anderson and things like that. So they're not going to sign another depth piece, right? Because they've got five or six of those. I mean, maybe they would, but they're, you know, they traded Jake Odorizzi, you know, when he opted in. That should tell you something about... Maybe what they're they what they were thinking about those young guys with options, and so anybody they sign is going to have to be clearly better than those guys, and that narrows the pool down in itself. So that can I don't know I read between the lines a little bit in that nothing specific that I've heard, but they've definitely kicked the tires on signing another starter um, and adding bullpen help. All right, time now for the uh, award eligible, uh, and we're doing all of our year end awards, so this is definitely the award eligible uh, Ask Justin segment where we answer Braves fans' questions on Twitter at. Justin C. Toscano. Wow, Ward eligible. That's Yeah, I mean, you know, eligibility's great. Um, maybe we'll get nominated. Maybe we'll win. But we're at least uh, eligible. Oh, that's that's awesome. All right, uh, first up, we've got a lot of good questions this week, so we appreciate that. Uh, Lucas Graham, given the likely chance of a bidding war for the high-profile names in free agency, what's the realistic likelihood the Braves pivot from a big free agent splash and make a move for someone like Reynolds or Adamas instead? If so... Are multiple trades truly possible given our farm stockpile? 
I don't know if multiple trades of that caliber are possible without giving somebody up somebody like William Contreras or Avon Grissom type because I don't I think the Braves farm system is better maybe than we think or know because they just don't really tend to hype their prospects to the media like other teams do but I think Brian Reynolds is a name that makes a lot of sense for them and I think that's something that they could have you know the prospect capital to do Alex Anthopoulos said before that they don't really have nobody's ever told them that they don't have the players to acquire somebody I think they could do Reynolds if they wanted um that would be a bigger trade in terms of costing more perhaps maybe than Willie Adamas but maybe not because Pittsburgh if Reynolds you know because he requested a trade Pittsburgh probably lost you know all its leverage there and so I mean multiple trades might be possible but you'd have to give up a young current major leaguer and I just don't know that they'd want to do that like I don't know why you would because they believe in those guys and none of them seem relatively expendable so I would say one good trade like that is probably realistic from Fred Daniel, is there a candidate team to take Ozuna? Is trading him a fantasy, or is there a potential fit somewhere? Man, I don't, like, you don't go out on the street and find guys with raw power like Marcelo Ozuna. Now, he's got to hit, right? Like, he's got to actually hit to showcase that, and that's the other side of the coin. But I just don't see it. Like, I think they can try, but why would you do that and maybe have to attach a prospect or something like that instead of just making a trade somewhere else to improve your club. Like if I I just think it might be more worth it to let him, maybe he comes out in spring training and kills the ball and has a decent bounce back year. Maybe he's not worth the 16, you know, million, but, or the 18 million, but I mean, maybe he gives you some value. He hit 23 home runs last year. He's got power. So they're like, would be a team that would have him on its roster at that price. I don't know. And you might have to take a bad contract back or send cash um, or attach a prospect. And I just don't know if that cost would be worth it versus just making a trade somewhere else in another way and keeping him on your roster. From Stephen Marsh, what are you hearing on a Max Freed extension? I mean, I think it's pretty clear that like the Braves would want to do that. Um, but the industry perception is always going to be that he's like an L.A. guy, right? Because he's from L.A., grew up a Dodgers fan, all that stuff. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean they won't get anything done, but I just don't think there's anything imminent right now, especially because they've extended all these guys so recently. Um, and, I mean, we'll, we'll really have to see, especially if they acquire a free agent starter. If it's anything more than a two-year deal, maybe they don't. And I'm just thinking on Freed's years of control. Maybe they don't extend him quite yet. Um, I mean, I know the Braves, of course, because he's awesome, are interested. But who knows if that would work out or if that would be something that Freed would be open to. From Eddie Gillum, about the bullpen. Who are the eighth and ninth inning guys in 2023? Iggy and who else? Ooh, Minter. Iggy, Minter. And I think you're going to see McHugh in the seventh a lot more. Uh, If the bullpen holds as is. Now, the Braves have explored adding to it, and I think they really liked their two-closer setup last year. Even if Kenley Jansen might, you know, be too spendy to uh, re-sign, or if he might, you know, if you're concerned about the pitch clock with him or whatever it might be, I don't know, you know, their specific thinking on that specifically, but um, they really liked that two-closer setup, giving them the most 
late inning options they could possibly have. They've still got Iggy and Minter, though, and I think that's a pretty good duo back there. All right, last one from Justin Reeves. I believe Alex's contract goes through 2024. Have you heard anything about extending him from McGurk? Yeah, well, I talked to uh, Terry McGurk about this months ago for a story of a profile I did in spring training on Alex Anthopoulos. Um, and I just I had inquired the same thing. And I think the direct quote he told me was Alex is going to be here for a very long time. I mean, there's nothing specific there, but like, look, like barring something ridiculous i mean i think the only way he would be leaving is if he took another job which i you know he he's the top he's the number one at you know one of the best organizations in baseball right now so i I just think there's nothing to worry about there all right sorry that was a little bit of a stout show but uh, we haven't talked baseball in a while so um you know we had a lot to discuss sorry about that we hadn't been here for a minute but we're gonna be here through the winter meeting so uh our plan now is uh, if there's anything to talk about this week, we will have a podcast out the next day. So hopefully, Justin, uh, there'll be a lot to talk about. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. And we'll keep it shorter next time. But we're like the guys in the bar that haven't seen each other since high school. And they're still talking about their lives since then while the bartender is trying to tell them that it's closing time and they've got to get out and get an Uber. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep it shorter. got to go home, but we got to get out of here. Right, exactly. Um, so hopefully there's a lot to talk about, but we'll be right on top of it. And then... At the very least, we're going to do, you know, we'll tease this now. We're going to do a show wrapping this whole thing, right? And we want to do one taking everybody's questions. So uh, maybe we'll do one specifically for that as well. All right, so that's the plan. So uh, check back often throughout the winter meetings, and we will be here whenever major news breaks. And if you have not done so, this is very important to help us grow the show. If you do like what we're doing, please help us out. Rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. We'll see you next time on the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving arts scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.